Greetings, everyone. Chief Yuya here. And of course, this is the Chief Yuya podcast. So I wanted to speak about history in uh, today's segment and the importance of the perspective of how we look into history and how we seek for understanding and understanding and overstanding within historical context and meaning. And, uh, you know, the reason that I'm, I'm speaking on this is because uh, a lot of times terms that we're given or uh, campaigns that we're sent on from a very young age, they are given to us by individuals who may not necessarily have the same worldview or world perspective as we do uh, or as we're establishing and seeking to have. And as a result, our pursuits can be fruitless. Uh, our pursuits can be very frustrating as a result, uh, because sometimes we are placing things in our path, uh, or things have been placed in our path. Things have been placed in our path, which we're told are important. And we're trying to find the relevancy for that actual importance. Right? So for me personally, uh, history has always been something that did not interest me at all. Uh, history for me, you know, I, I mean, as a youth, and I'm, I guess maybe even to current times, it's not, it's not the most exciting subject to me. Um, but it became very relevant and very important in my journey of awareness and my journey of discovering and, and establishing who I am as a person on this planet and what my lineage has been in my world contribution and so forth and so on. And when I say my, I'm not speaking about myself just as an individual. I'm speaking about my, as my people and in, in more particular, uh, my family, you know, so history then became relevant to me. But, you know, when I was in grade school, uh, it wasn't really that important to me. You know, I didn't, I didn't really get the relevancy of why I had to learn about the things that I learned about and where, how the pieces fit together. Right. So that wasn't really something I, I began to see until I got a little older, especially because I had already been doing so much studying, uh, before history class was introduced. I've been, uh, studying, you know, culture and history since I was about seven years old. So, by time it, it came for some of those those classes, I was always curious as to why the uh, view and the instruction was so tapered, right? So I, I lost interest very quickly, right? Uh, and to this day, not very interested, in, you know, and, and a whole bunch of dates, and this person did this, and this one built the first dad, and that, I, I, I could care less. I want to know, you know, what are we doing next? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always more interested and I only really want the historical perspective to see what may have worked and what didn't work. Uh, and you know, where we've already been and where we don't need to repeat. That's, that's, that's about it. But again, it's because my perspective of history or my initiative towards it is all based around nation building and not necessarily a love of just ancient facts. So speaking on that. You know, I wanted to um, kind of talk about for a moment just 
how history is presented to us and how that affects us as spiritual beings. You know, uh, I was having a conversation with someone a little while ago and uh, we were just talking about, uh, actually we were talking about Noir Mail, right? And because, uh, you know, Noir Mail is actually a series, even though I didn't totally express that in the beginning, but I was sharing with him like where the where it's the vision, some of the vision, like where, where, you know, and like really the uh, motivation behind, you know, the book and um, the music and what, what my vision was. Right. So for me, a lot of the vision was to resurrect the messianic energy of the original man. And in order to do that first, I had to, um, Pierce the side, as I spoke about recently, opening that power up, but piercing the side of the original man to let some of that blood or some of that power leak out onto the ground, as we've seen so much of that now in the form of these different sacrificial offerings. But they're always for a reason. So opening up the mind of the original man and saying, hey, this is what we've been going through internally. Like you may have witnessed some of it externally, but this is how it has affected our psyche and, and what we would call the, um, post-traumatic syndrome as a result. And, you know, and that's just trauma that you experience after, uh, well, a traumatic event, you know, or a traumatic experience. There's a residue that a lot of times we deal with. And, um, sometimes it goes undiagnosed. You know, it could be something like we're seeing all these arrests. One of the things I had spoken about recently was, I think it was in an Instagram post. A lot of times people don't realize how traumatic it is to be arrested, you know, um, and by arrested, arrest just means to stop, you know, to arrest something. So it doesn't mean you even went down to the precinct or you were put in back of the car. But when someone stops you and holds you and doesn't let you leave, it's traumatic, you know, and then if they put cuffs on you or they, they hold you or they, you know, they physically wrestle you to the ground or detain you or put a, a gun on gun on you or just put their hand on their gun in front of you. Um, it could be very traumatic. And I've known people who've gone through that, you know, even when situation where it was like the, the, the policy agents just came up and said, okay, you can go. And um, there's a fear now every time you see them. So um, sometimes I see comments when people are like, well, just give them your ID. And you know, if you, if you don't, have, if, if you didn't do anything, you got nothing to worry about. And you know, that's easy for certain people to say, but without a historical psychological context, um, you may not understand the effect it may have or why some people resist because no, I'm not, I'm not doing this with you. I'm not doing this because again, there's a psychological historical context of being put, you know, being arrested and being detained and being taken somewhere you don't want to go. So there's so much to that. Right. And there's so much to the noir male miscalculations of a lost male um, and the noir male music project. And, you know, and it's a project because it's more. I mean, I already have about another 13 um, songs queued up and then we're working on the next set now as well. Um, I don't even want to get a title to the next project, but uh, in case in case I change it, which is highly possible. But um, so anyway. So in, in speaking about that, um, one of the things that I was sharing with the person was, you know, one of the 
the biggest things that uh, a lot of original people go through is, you know, a lack of knowledge of self. And when you truly do not know who you are, it becomes very difficult to understand what the privilege of your behavior is supposed to be. You know, so when you don't know who you are or what you are, then it's very easy to pledge yourself or commit yourself to a way of life that completely disregards your actual inheritance or your actual birthright or your actual standing in in the universe. So with this particular person, when I was speaking about Noir Mel and really kind of cracking open that cracking open that mind and opening that mind and that experience to the community uh, as stage one, that's only stage one of the product of the project. Uh, this is what's going on inside of our brains, inside of our hearts. This is some of the pain that we've been enduring. And these are the reasons why. And, you know, of course, there's always people who say, oh, you just sound hurt. But, you know, those are the demons. Anybody who, you know, when someone is hurting or expressing their hurt and the response is, oh, you sound angry or or um, who hurt you or you got mommy issues or something like that. You, you, you're just that's a demon. That's that's a scumbag, dirtbag demon that would respond in that way. It's like, you know, spitting on somebody when they're ailing in, you know, on, on the curb and they're reaching out for help and you just, oh, you look like you need help. And then you make mockery of it. So, um, I really don't give, I mean, no one's said that to me, but you know, I've, those kind of statements have come forth, um, even to some degree surrounding the experience. Right. But, um, you know, one of the things I was sharing with him, you know, is that again, that, that lack of knowledge of self and this particular individual is, um, pretty, pretty, pretty much entrenched and to the the Pentecostal church experience. So, you know, I was speaking that language, you know, again, and I, and I said, you know, one of the biggest challenges that you have in your environment and people who are committed to your form of, um, worship is that you see, you, you see your book as a wonderful, um, compendium of metaphors about God. And that's what gets you every time, you know, because it's just basically advice and, you know, great sayings and great proverbs and and songs and things like that. But you don't see it as a book of culture. And if you could see it as a book of culture, it will become much easier to understand your place in it. And I was telling him that that's probably the number one issue inside of your environment. And. A lot of that is because of the leadership, right? So leadership is, is such an important thing and it's such a, a heavy and and somber responsibility when you take on the leadership mantle and you take it on um, lovingly and responsibly because, for one, because of the uh, the overall effect that you can have on one's life. But uh, it's also, it's the value of the charge of covering someone's blood, you know, it's a blood charge and you can lead them deeper into the, the Valley of source, you know, uh, or you can lead them deeper into the Valley of demise and, and dissolution. Right. So, you know, one of the things that I had shared was that the challenge is, is that you have these 
theologians and these scholars, so-called scholars, and it's very easy to determine and to figure out. You could do it pretty quickly to determine and figure out who is being spoken about in certain experiences when you read the book, right? Um, But the problem is when you have individuals who are already committed to something else before they're committed to that blood charge, it gets tricky. So we speak about that in politics when we speak about like the Jason Society, the Skull and Bones, you know, and and all of these different um, secret societies that we say that, you know, are problematic because they, they create this fraternal order that takes precedence over people's governmental oaths or their constitutional oaths or their oaths, their oaths of office, right? Which is true, you know? So if I'm a member of one of these societies, and especially if I've been recruited in my college years, then the oath that I've committed there is going to stand before my oath of office. It's going to supersede my oath of office. Well, the same thing happens when you have these fraternities and these sororities, Right. So we look at them as very innocent experiences. You know, we go and we do park cleanups and we do we hand out food and we run around on stage with gigantic candy canes and barking at each other like dogs and clapping our hands in between our legs and stuff like that. Um, But sometimes people don't realize that the majority of your mega church pastors come out of these organizations. Some of your your greatest orators. And leaders like Dr. King, for instance, came out of a fraternity. So when you have pledged yourself to be a Greek, what kind of oath supersedes the oath and the blood charge that you receive during your ministerial ordination? Which one do you hold more dear to you? When one, I mean, you don't see too many crosses branded on people, but you will see um, some Greek lettering branded on people. You know, the most you might see is, you know, your, your, your pastor may wear a cross, you know, gold cross or some rings, or some jewelry or something that, you know, kind of signifies the position. But very rare you see a brand, you know, not to say you should be wearing crosses anyway. That's a whole nother story, but that has... That's just, it's just a whole nother story. <laughs> but, um, you know, again, within the context of who I was speaking to, I think it's, uh, important for us all. So that idea of, you know, who do I pledge or what am I, what do I pledge myself to before I pledge myself to my actual word, you know, or my actual, church, you know, or the spirit that I say resides inside of that building, um, what begins first? You know, when you think about the, the scripture, um, but I say unto you, swear not, swear not at all, neither by heathen, for it is God's throne, um, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, you know, but uh, for it is the city of the great king, neither that, that thou swear by thy head, because I canst not make one hair white or black. Um, so basically it's saying like, don't take any oaths, you know, and you're, you're, and especially when you're taking oaths towards organizations and experiences that 
um, are latent manifestations or creations of the being that you say you hold there, you know, and this is where we get into the, the value or the devaluing of the idea of pride and pride. It's, it's, you know, when you're glorifying the gift over the giver of the gift, you know, and that essentially is the challenge that we have with history. History often is a glorification of earthly earthly accomplishments, earthly pursuits, and it extracts purposely the presence of a source, the presence of the divine, the presence of the creator of the universe, the presence of, you know, quote unquote, your God, right? So as I was explaining to the person, I said, first off, because he was, you know, some of the things that I share with him, he's actually a, um, a bishop himself. And, you know, he comes to me for uh, counseling. And he was saying, you know, the things that, that you know and you talk about, you know, and he said this kind of word needs to be in in the church, basically. And I said, um, it is. People know. I said, you, you have Catholic bishops who know. They know. You know, they know which image of the Messiah to go pray to themselves. They just keep it hidden away behind curtains in the basement. And then they know which one they give you. You know, um, but they also know that there's a greater conspiracy that's present that they have to maintain and uphold, you know, because for for what they consider to be their own liberty, you know, Again, when you look at the idea of history, history is just a judgment. You know, um, it comes out of the the, um, the Latin historia, which actually is a is a term that can either denote like to judge, or it can denote uh, the wisdom, the wisdom of a man. So it's you know like that's why we say that wisdom is experiences. You know, it could be someone's someone's history it could be an experience, but uh, nonetheless, the idea there is that uh, it also can mean to inquire. But if you notice that there's nothing solid, whether I'm judging, whether I have wisdom or whether I've inquired, none of those denote that I actually am holding the truth. You see, I'm just I'm just judging a particular thing, you know, or I'm inquiring and looking into a particular thing. And my my inquiry becomes history. I want you to think about how <laughs> how off that is. <laughs> you know, the moment I decide to look into something, that's now what what defines what the history of that thing is, but not actually the the true uh truthful discovery of that thing, right? So, you know, and I'm just sharing some of the conversation that uh me and the, and the individual, myself and the individual had, you know, for your own context, but um History should always be, should always be the chronicle of your journey and the journey of a, of a people as it relates to their creator. I'm giving you the Anu definition of history, the real definition of history. It should always be. See, the problem is, is that when you receive your understandings of these terms and these ideas from a godless people, from a spiritless people, from a lawless people, then now that becomes the standard and it allows you to never or it, it causes you to never find who you truly are, to never locate yourself 
on the, the timeline or the world map in a way that actually makes sense. So you can look at different accomplishments of a people and say, well, that's me. That's me. Maybe because you got the same skin color and things like that. And you say, well, we did this, but we did that. That's that's irrelevant. That's just pride. You see, pride and haughtiness come before a fall. So you don't you don't really want to invest in that. You want to invest in, you know, what was my relationship or what was these people's relationship to the creator at that time? Because that that's how I understand the history. No different than when we we might look at the Ice Age and we might look at people who lived through the Ice Age and we begin to get an understanding of how they perceived and, and processed a higher deity through that experience. You see, now that becomes proper history when you understand, like even you read books like the Iceman Inheritance, but you know, you, you begin to understand why certain people may act a certain way today or have a certain perception or why, how we're given a certain perception and conception of what God is based on that ice age experience. So we're told about the jealousy and the anger and the wrath and, and things like that because you know, some people grew into an an environment where it was like, there's no way God could love us. Not, not with how this, you know, our lives are so sad. You know, um, there's no food. There's no, this There's no, that it's freezing. It's cold all the time. What kind of God would put us in a place like this? Then you have other people who live in places of abundance. So their gods had time to, to, you know, make children have sex and, you know, sing and play instruments and, and things like that. So, Again, your history should always be a study of your relation. Even your own personal history uh, should always be a study of your relationship with the creator. Right. And, you know, like I had shared, I won't go too, too deeply in it because I want this to be a brief uh, segment. But um, you have people who have taken oaths who are vowed against you knowing you finding out who you are. And finding out who the people who confuse the information are. That's the most important thing. Because even once you find out who you are. That will take you but so far. It, it will hopefully cause you to stop doing things that are, that are um, counterintuitive to who or to what you are being designed to be over the ages. But then the other one is, well, then who's this? See, that's that's the tricky thing. And like I had shared with him, when you start to reveal that kind of information, if I start to show you uh, who you are in your book, as I said to him, in your book, if I take your book and show you who you are in your book, then there's a there's an obvious question that comes next. It's very obvious. Well, if this is who I am, then who are these other people? And that's when it gets ugly. That's when it gets ugly. If I am really the chosen, if I'm really Yisrael, and you told me about a time when there are people who will say that they are Yehuda, but they're not Yehuda. They are the, the, the synagogue of Satan. (laughs) then who are they today? You see, so there's like an easy thing that like a lot of teachers don't do in those environments and that they don't bring you up to date. So they don't tell you 
you know, things like, okay, when you see Assyria, for instance, um, in the book, it's speaking about modern day Iraq, you know, or Gomer is the Ukraine or Misraim is Egypt. So even when they see like Egypt in the book, they don't, they don't know it's not the Egypt that you think, right? Misraim, the house of bondage, the house of pain. <laughs> and then you start to look at that and you say, well, okay, if it's the house of bondage, the house of pain, wh where is that happening? You start to get a better um, allegorical understanding or like um, Phoenicia is Lebanon. Right? So, I mean, there's all kind of things. And I was sharing with him, you know, um, that one of the important things to, to, to kind of get an understanding of is where people were coming from and who they were. You know, one of the examples I had given him was there was a scripture where Paul uh, was make, was mistaken for an Egyptian at one point. They asked him, you know, are you Egyptian? You know, um, and he had signified that he was Hebrew, right? So just for a second, if you could kind of think about if, if that's the case, then, you know, what did the Egypt, what did Paul look like? And what the Egyptians, what did the Egyptians look like for him to be mistaken as one? Right. Now that's kind of easy one, right? Um, we could talk about Joseph who went there or Yuya, which is really his name. Um, who Yuya who went there and, or I'll just say Joseph. So not to confuse some of you or as some say, Yosef or Yusef, but who went to, to Kemet and blended in and became, um, a ruler there was given power. Well, how was he able to blend in with these black people? Quote, unquote, I'm using the word black, you know, in context. Right. So when you start to kind of bring things up to date, it starts to help you to understand who was being spoken about, even in some of these prophecies. When you realize that Tarsus is Turkey or Eastern Turkey or or is um southeastern Iraq or Bob Babylon is Iraq. You know, um you know, you start to get a better understanding of wh where am I in all of this? You know, like where 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 do I sit? You know, and sometimes we're shocked or we we just we're just not aware of how many names have been changed. It's kind of like when certain people go into the entertainment industry and they change their names. You know, they take off some of the steins and things. So instead of Goldstein, it becomes gold or Silverstein. It becomes silver, you know, uh, different names like that. And um, people are seeking to kind of um, hide themselves in a way, you know, but also to assimilate into a certain experience. And again, <laughs> if you were able to understand what those names mean, right? If you broke down some of those names, like when you see Kohane or Cohen, Cohen and Kohane are the same. And then you understand the priesthood of Kohane, you'd be like, wait a minute, your last name is Cohen. There's no way you're, you're, that's genetically impossible <laughs> for you to be a Kohane, you know? Um, but again, it's, it's the hiding of things. When you look and you read Exodus and you see about the place of Elim, you realize that Elim is, is Egypt.
you know, or Dadan is uh, Saudi Arabia, you know, um, in, but that country known as Al-Ullah, you know. So, and I mean, I could I could go on. I, I know a lot of them because I just, I like, like I said, I've never really had an interest in history, but I had an interest in this when I was younger. <laughs> you know, who are you talking about? And if that's me, who are you? In this whole scenario. And why do you work so hard to keep me from figuring out who I am? Why is that so important? Even beyond what I actually do. You know, because once I know who I am, there's certain things I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be selling drugs to the community or or hurting the community or or breaking into people's homes or defrauding people or conning people or, you know, we just go through it, especially if I know I'm doing it to the chosen few. And I know that there's a judgment that comes and some might even say what this place is experiencing now is a judgment for that 400 and something years of uh, torment and, and 400 and something years plus of torment. Some might say that as it has been, um, prophesied and outlined in different books, even the Hopi prophecy prophecies. You could read the Hopi prophecies and learn about that as well. You know, so the key is, you know, I'm going to make it a short one, but when you are studying your history, always study it in relationship to your creator. And if you can do that, it, it, it comes alive like it's supposed to because now the living truth is inside of it. It's just not a bunch of old dead facts. That's why I never really was into it because it was just like a bunch of old facts. Who cares? Oh, on this date, the Archduke of Spain was assassinated. Okay. And <laughs> what's that got to do with me? Now, of course, as you get older, maybe some, maybe some students understood it then. Maybe I was just slow to it, but you start to realize that there's a picture being drawn there. And that there's a psychology that's being imputed by keeping you in certain places, even when you're when you're you're being given the, the the history of Europe, the history of Africa, of Asia, and you're being given a certain amount of um, confusing and deterring facts and dates, so that you never really kind of start to peel back or do the ifa, but you never really begin to peel back the layers and say, well, what was what was underneath this? You know, what was happening before or again, uh, you're telling me the modern names to these places. What are the ancient names to these places? A lot of young children, they go to church and they might have saw some of these ancient names and said, wait a minute, that's that's this place. You know, or I might read in Joshua about about um, Nefertoah and find out that Nefertoah is modern day Israel or that um, Ophir is modern day Sri Lanka. Right. So. Now, I'm sorry for all these buzz and beeps. That means I got to I got to get out of here. But, um, you know, so that's what I just wanted to share. You know, be careful of the oaths that people take who stand in front of you, because a lot of times they're hiding a lot of information from you because this stuff is very easy to uncover. But um, again, their goal is to keep you from ever finding out who you are and to, from ever finding out who they are, because once you discover that, then all of the history, the present day history, the current things that are happening right now begin to make sense to you. And instead of even getting involved and stopping some of them, some of them, you might just sit back and say, you know what? 
Yeah. Come on, bring bring more of it. <laughs> because I know that a certain thing needs to occur before the right thing happens. And this is just a part of um, this is even a part of my own judgment for my own um, hard headedness, historical hard headedness. You know, so, um, you know, just be mindful of that. Like I said, I wanted to keep it kind of brief, but uh, it's just something that was on my heart. And, you know, as I spoke to the individual, he was really thankful. You know, I gave him um, some things to look up and whatnot. And, you know, he said he's going to try to start to implement that that level of teaching. I told him, be careful, though, <laughs> you know, because now you're you're uncovering some of the great conspiracies. But, you know, again, we're looking at a, a rebalance and a redistribution of power. So we don't really need to be so scared anymore. We just need to be strategic. But um, it's coming out little by little. It's coming out, you know, where people are now speaking to this, you know, and at some point, even as a spiritual community, especially those of you who are Aberisha, you're going to have to finally look at the place that West Africans hold in all of this. At some point, you're going to have to have that, you know, you're going to have to make the mirror your best friend and have a real talk with yourself, you know, and really, you know, there's a lot of things that we quickly deny uh, when it comes to what we've done to each other, you know, and it's no different than nowadays we, we praise and we laud people for, some of the worst things they've done to our community. Anytime I see like an interview or a podcast and it's got some old drug dealer from the eighties and the nineties. And we like, yeah, that's a real one right there. That's a real one. What? So we praise people now because of their efficiency in destroying the community. And I understand that for, for, especially for some of the younger people, you didn't live through the crack era. You didn't live through the, the HIV AIDS explosion. You don't live through the heroin era. I mean, but you are living through the pill era, through the meth era. And look at what that's doing to families. And then you have people who are instrumental in that. And imagine, you know, the people who are destroying the communities. Just I'm just speaking to younger people, you know, with, with all the pills and everything like that. You got people who are, are beating up grandmothers and, you know, snatching purses and, and hitting people's mothers in the head with pieces of wood. To snatch their purse, man, to, to, to get money for their addiction. You know, um, you consider that for a second. And those who are instrumental in making that happen, that's not someone you should praise. Right. But again, when you live in a society where um, you live in Sodom, just give it to you for real. This, this is what this place is. This, North America is Sodom. You have to, again, do the science, do the knowledge. This is Sodom. So when you live in Sodom, you're going to praise things that are completely and absolutely diametrically opposed to the creator of the universe. So some old drug dealer who's done 15, 20 years in, 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 in the pen can come home and write books and do tours and things like that and get more attention then maybe a young person who's doing, who's starting a company or coming up with, you know, their own form of blockchain, you know, or, you know, just doing something that's innovative, you know, that old, that person, or even music artists, we praise music artists for, um, you know, like I, I heard recently, Dr. Dre is 
his wife filed for divorce and you know he's worth like over 700 million dollars now and she's a lawyer and it's pro no prenup and why are we even talking about that who cares he's been one of the most efficient agents in destroying the melanin rich community for like what uh 30 years and better you know 30 years and better he's been getting pat you know pats on his head good job boy good job boy has never had anything positive or constructive to say towards my people. And I'm supposed to care if, and and I mean, he married someone who's not my people and he put on who they keep lauding as the greatest rapper ever, which I don't hear it, but the, you know, who was also not my people and anything else he's done outside of that was every song was destroying my people was, was a threat to me. I'm gonna hurt you. I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna do this. So what the hell do I care about him and him losing half a million dollars or, or half or $350,000, $350 million? Who cares? Who gives a crap? You know? So this is when you're in Sodom, you don't, you can't pull back objectively and see things like that because, well, I like his music though. Yeah. The demons inside of you like his music, just like the parasites inside of you like all the candy. That's, that's what that is. You got to flush yourself out of that, you know, and you got to grow up. That's what it really is, you know, and, I, and I'm not saying that, you know, you, you'll find an old image or video of me. You might hear me listen to certain things. Yeah, you might. You absolutely might. You know, we all start somewhere, but at some point we got to clean that up and we got to realize when we're too invested in systems and modalities of pride and wickedness. We got to stop praising that because that's beneath our privilege as the chosen ones. With those of us who are chosen. All right. So that's that. Like I said, my alarms are going off. So that means I got to, you know, catachugi. But anyway, this has been Chief Yaya and thank you. And like I said, have a, have a beautiful his- history journey. I hope history comes alive to, for you in a different way now, maybe. You know, within content. And I know some of you just love history anyway. You're history buffs. More power to you. I wish I had that in me. I just never did. Um, history never meant anything to me until it was within a relevancy in a context of my liberation. Then I, I'm, I'm, I was all on it <laughs> as I am now. You know, I'm all on it. If it has something to do with liberation, if it has something to do with, with cultural reclamation, but outside of that, man, I don't care. I, I'd, I'd rather you know, watch something that's or, or read something that's dealing with future innovations, you know, but again, we all have a place to play in uh, this work, right? All right. So this is Chief Yuya out. And for those of you who have been citing you enjoying the noir mail and everything like that, please leave a review on Amazon. All right. Um, I know I have to say this every time I put a book out people in my inbox. Thanks so much. Put a review up, man. Were you scared this? For, for people to see where you get your inspiration from, <laughs> you know, so definitely, you know, leave a review if you've been enjoying the work. And if you don't enjoy it, oh, then you put the private message in my <laughs> You whisper that in my, in my inbox. Just whisper a prayer to me. But uh, anyway, so you guys, please uh, enjoy your uh, strong end and continue to be well, be safe and be wise. All right. Peace.